Please take your Bibles and go to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, chapter chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and again, if you're visiting with us, you need a Bible, a chair in the, uh, the little pocket or underneath the chair in front of you. There's a Bible there. You can pull that out and uh, pull that out and go to the back, find page 24, Matthew chapter 27, first 10 verses of Matthew chapter 27. We're going to dive in. I just want to encourage you, we're praying for these training centers, get the privilege to be a part of that, these training centers throughout the world where men from Master Seminary, they go out into these different countries, Croatia and India, we pray for them today, <clears throat> and they're training men, they're training pastors to go and shepherd our brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, throughout the world, so we're taking the time to pray for them. Um, they're really getting hit hard with this whole virus thing, so we want to be praying for them and they're praying for us too, so that's kind of cool. Uh, but uh, and, uh, next week we're going to pray for Japan. And I might even throw in their folly again because folly's in the process of starting one in Madagascar. So he's really important to us because we're, we're supporting him personally, like just, just him. But uh, anyways, so good, good times for us to be praying for, for those around the world. Matthew chapter 27, read the first 10 verses. And at early morning... All the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And binding him, they led him away and they delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, the one who betrayed him, seeing that he was condemned, feeling remorse, he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned, betraying innocent blood. But they said, what to us? See yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed. And going away, he hanged himself. And the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, it is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. And counseling together, they bought the field of the potter with that money as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. And then the word through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the field of the potter as the Lord directed me. Are we facing a post-COVID-19 suicide epidemic? Is the pandem- pandemic <laughs> pandemic hello is the pandemic putting more people at risk for suicide? Put 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 too many p's. Is the pandemic putting more people at risk for suicide? That was the title of the article, if I could say it. According to Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Statistics, suicide is already the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. With a 35% rise in the suicide rate from 1999 to 2018. 
But a new article recently published in the Journal of the American Medical Association suggests that we may be at the beginning of something far worse. Titled, this article, um, that they're quoting here, Suicide Mortality and Coronavirus Disease 2019, A Perfect Storm. The article suggests that the unprecedented public health actions needed to contain the new pandemic along with social distancing requirements, stay-at-home orders, and stress due to job loss may well result in far more suicide in the years to come. End quote. That's the part of this whole shutdown that nobody wants to talk about. And then you throw into the mix these lunatic, sinful, selfish rioters and looters who destroy all these businesses. More reasons for people to take their own lives. As far as they're concerned, all is lost. And they can't take it. And that's what happens with that weight. And that's what people feel with the weight of guilt and shame. They have those same feelings of nothingness. They think life is hopeless. That's exactly how Judas felt. And yet, God is ready to forgive God is ready to forgive as Matthew is calling us to bow down and worship Jesus who is he the Messiah the son of God the king of Israel he is the judge of the world we bow down and worship Jesus and we truly repent and truly repent truly Repent. Jesus calls us to truly repent and trust Him, not just be remorseful or, or follow some legalistic code. He stands ready to forgive us. It's not about feeling bad over your sin or you're supposed to follow some kind of religious code or standard. I was grateful in our first hour, Stephen Lawson brought up the truth that Christianity, it's, it's personal, it's relational, it's relationship. It's not if you know about God, if, it's if you know God. Christianity is relational. Change the direction of your life and follow Christ and he'll forgive you. we come here to another sad section. And it's just going to keep getting worse because we come soon to the death of our Lord. Another sad section of Matthew's gospel where the council of the Sanhedrin officially condemned Jesus. Judas commits suicide. And yet even in the midst of these terrible, horrific events, you, see, you still see God's purposes will stand. You still see it. Because Matthew brings it out for us. 
God is sovereign over people's responses to him. So, bow down and worship Jesus and truly repent. Repent? Why? Because of Jesus' condemnation. Notice the first two verses. Early morning, the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Just as Jesus had predicted, Matthew chapter 20, the Sanhedrin met together early in the morning and they officially decided to condemn Jesus. Verse two, binding him, they led him away and they delivered him to Pilate, the governor. They, hand him, they would hand him over to the Gentiles, a.k.a. Romans, to carry it out since they didn't have the power to actually kill him. But once again, the truth of Jesus, Jesus who was the prophet, the ultimate prophet of God, is proven true. A word, if you will, about Pilate, since he will take up center stage next week. As the Roman governor, only he had the power to execute those convicted by the Sanhedrin, and of course they would have to convince him of doing that. Pilate was in power from 26 to 36 AD. He was very insecure as a governor. He was insensitive to the Jews. He was harsh in administrating justice, says one writer. At times, he would even be ruthless with the Jews, and he was at times so ruthless and proven at times to be so ruthless and just basically in our vernacular was such a jerk that he was removed from power in 36 AD. But the point is this. So you look at this, these two verses. Repent why Jesus was condemned. Repent because Jesus was condemned for you. He was sentenced to die for you. He would take the punishment for you. Repent. I was just talking with somebody on Friday about this concept of penal vicarious substitutionary atonement. Penal, it's legal, vicarious. It's in the place of substitution as our substitute. He atoned for our sins. The person said, I, I, I have a hard time understanding that. How could that be possible? I said, because what you deserved, it was all put on Jesus. So you could get the grace and the mercy of God. Repent, respond, because Jesus was condemned. Truly repent, not just feel remorse. Not just feel remorse or not just be remorseful. Look at verses three through five. Then Judas, the one who betrayed him, seeing that he had been condemned, feeling remorse, he returned a 30 piece of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned betraying innocent blood. So now it says, seeing he was condemned. Jesus was condemned. Now, it's hard to determine the chronology of, of, of this action. When did he see this? Maybe it was at Pilate's decision, uh, which happened later. Maybe it was in the courtyard of the high priest, and he was still there, and he saw that they made that condemnation, which I, I think that's when it's happened. But in any event, 
Judas felt remorse, which is striking. What else did he expect? But yet, this is the reason why some people believe Judas' betrayal was really an act of trying to get Jesus to act politically. Some people believe that Judas actually did this on purpose. He actually betrayed Jesus to try and get Jesus to do something. Again, we don't know that because we don't know what he was thinking. But the word used here, feeling remorse, is in a participle phrase. It's not the Greek word for repentance, which is used to describe genuine repentance, according to context. And notice, he returned the 30 pieces of silver and he confessed his sin. You see that? I have sinned. How? Betraying his blood. He confessed being broken over it. So Judas seemed to have been in major despair and wanted some kind of spiritual help or guidance. He regretted what had happened. And so where, where do you go? Well, you go to the ones who should be ready to help, right? You go, you go to, the, to the leaders of the religion of Israel, right? They're, they're the shepherds, right? So he went to them. He realized the ginormous evil he had committed. What have I done? I have sinned. Betraying, notice what he says, innocent blood. Innocent? What? What changed his mind? Well, Jesus being condemned, yeah, okay, I guess that's obvious, but, but now his, his words were very clear. He believed Jesus was innocent. His actions were wrong. He regrets it. So did he now think Jesus was guilty? Well, why? We just don't know. We'll never know what he was thinking. But, but again, he was feeling this, so he goes to the ones who, who would be there to help him. But they said to him, end of verse four, but they said, what is that to us? Literally, what to us? See yourself. It's not our problem, buddy. One writer says they, quote, coldly rebuffed him, end quote. Your sin is your own problem, pal, not ours. What? What striking irony. The religious leaders who are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel were nothing but charlatans. These religious leaders didn't care about him. All they did was use him to get what they wanted. Kill Jesus. They used him. 
You, know, you, you see the same principle in movies and books. You see the same thing. They're supposed to be bad guys. They come to help, but in the end, they betray the good guys to get what they want. That's exactly what happens here. As, as far as they were concerned, Jesus is nothing more than, one writer put it like this, quote, a tool that had served its purpose and could be discarded, end quote. And then four, gruesome, Horrific, scary verbs in verse 5. Through, departed, went away, hanged. Judas throwing the money displayed his regret for his actions. Maybe anger. But it was too late to help Jesus. And these so-called leaders, they would give him no peace of mind to deal with his guilt, with his shame, with his hopelessness. And with that not able to gain peace of mind and not able to get help from the ones who should be there to help Judas dealt with his guilt by hanging himself he couldn't bear the shame anymore and you know it's like you wanted to say to Judas You went to the wrong people. You should have gone to the one you betrayed. You should have sought out Jesus. It's like you want to go back in time and tell him, just go to Jesus. He would have forgiven you, right? He would restore you. But Judas was lost. And, and, and Judas was lost not because he committed suicide. That's Roman Catholic teaching which is from the pit of hell. That does not, it's not what the Bible teaches. You don't go to hell because you commit suicide. Okay? Is that clear? People don't go to hell because they commit suicide. That's not the unforgivable sin. It's, it's sin. You shouldn't take your life. But Judas was lost because he did not repent and come to Jesus to find forgiveness of his sins, for his guilt, for his shame. And this is for you. Are you here? And do you need to come to Jesus for forgiveness? Jesus is ready to forgive. That's why I wanted to read that in Psalm 86. God is ready to forgive. He's not ready to judge you. He is ready to forgive you. 
People think this, right? They think God is out to get them, right? That is further from the truth than God's word. What is God doing? God is holding back his judgment so that all his people can come in and repent. No, instead he's ready to forgive. He's like this, come, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He says, come. That same person I was talking to on Friday, that's exactly what I told that person, that God is ready to forgive. He's not ready to judge. He's ready to forgive. Unfortunately, Judas's remorse was not followed up by actions that displayed true repentance. And there's some lessons for us to learn here, friends, about repentance and what that means. And about conviction and remorse over sin. Just because a person feels bad about their sin and even confesses it, it doesn't mean that the Spirit of God has done the work of regeneration in their heart. It doesn't mean that. Do I have it on this next screen or down here? Oh, good. The possible work of conviction does not guarantee the work of regeneration. I say possible because just because a person is feeling bad that doesn't necessarily mean that God is doing the work of conviction. There's a work of conviction by the Spirit of God and then there's work of regeneration by the Spirit of God. But the work of conviction does not guarantee there's going to be a work of regeneration. The Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus said that in John's Gospel. But that doesn't mean He's done a heart change so that the person has truly trusted Christ. In short, feelings do not equal salvation. Just because someone feels bad about their sin doesn't mean they're now a follower of Christ. It doesn't mean they're even truly repenting. People feel bad all the time about doing things wrong. Most of the time because they get caught. They feel bad because they got caught. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Just because a person feels bad about their sin doesn't mean it's the Spirit's work of conviction in the heart. It It doesn't even mean God is the one who's convicting them at all. It could be their conscience. And and, then, of course, God's working that out in His providence, providentially working that out in their hearts. And Yeah, 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 I I understand that. God works all things big and little to bring His people to Himself just at the right perfect time. He's doing that. I understand that. All that to say, it's almost like we we get a, a, a bit excited to see Judas' remorse over his sin only to have our hearts drop and sink into sorrow when we see his actions did not at all line up to true, real repentance. Judas's suicide it displays, one writer puts it like this, quote, hopeless despair. True, 
real, genuine repentance is displayed by fruit, by works. Repentance itself is not a work, by the way. On the contrary, it is a gift from God. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. So true repentance will show itself in good works. Display it. And you know, as a side note, it's remarkable to see the contrast between what we just saw last week with Peter's denials and then Judas's regret and suicide. I mean, both actions were horrible, right? But we see how Peter returns to following Jesus and, and yet it's so sad for Judas because there's not true repentance. So truly repent not just feel remorse, but something else. Truly repent, not a legalistic code or not following a legalistic code. Notice verse six through eight. The chief priest took the piece of silver and said, <clears throat> it's not lawful to put them back into the temple treasury. It's the price of blood. Counseling together, they bought the field of the potter with that money as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Not a legalistic code. It's not about cleaning up your life in order to follow Jesus. You don't clean up your life to follow Jesus. No. It's personal, it's relational, change the direction of your life, repent. It's not cleaning up your life and then follow Jesus. So why did they buy this field? Apparently, when Judas hung himself, either his corpse rotted and fell, or more likely, the rope broke and he fell. Um, his insides ruptured and gushed out. Well, that's a pretty picture. According to Acts chapter 1, Peter actually tells us this in the book of Acts. A horrible, painful, agonizing death for him if, if he wasn't dead by hanging himself and a rope broke and then he fell. That would have been a horrible way to die. So they used that money to buy that field with the price of blood and it was called the field of blood. Probably it was used for Jews who died in Jerusalem while attending religious festivals. But do you notice something here in verse 6? And the chief priests took the piece of silver and they said, it is not lawful. Lawful? Since when did they become concerned about what's lawful, especially with what they just did to Jesus? Not to mention their indifference to Judas's anguish. I mean, their, their scruples are striking. They're concerned about ritual purity all the while they were having a dirty trial. You see that? Hypocrisy. They paid the price with that money to secure Jesus' death. So... <clears throat> They knew it would be the death of an innocent man. They knew that. 
plus. It means they took that money out of the temple treasury to pay Judas, to have Jesus convicted. Oh, but their consciences wouldn't put it back into the temple treasury. Do you see the duplicity here? Since, since, since when are they so concerned about what's lawful? Friends, this is, this is so vital. This is a huge lesson for us about the gospel. Following Jesus is not about following some religious code, standard, or system. It's relationship with Jesus and with the Father through the Lord Jesus. We've we got to understand that. It's a relationship. It's relational. Christianity is personal. It's not just be a good person. It's not just do the right thing. This is an important aspect of the gospel. We repent, we change the direction of our lives, and we trust Christ. Jesus, I change the direction of my life, and I put my trust in you. You died for my sins, and if I were to die, the only thing that would save me from facing God's wrath is you on anything that I will ever do. That's true repentance. It's not a feeling remorse. And it's not following some legalistic code. The leaders are concerned about law. No, 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 no. We're called to be concerned about Christ. Right? And then Matthew does something for us here in the midst of this um, sadness and, and just the weight of this. He gives us hope, even more hope. Here in verses 9 and 10, which I, I pulled this point and described it this way. Remember, God is sovereign over all responses. Look at this. Verse 9, Then the word through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel. Verse 10, They gave them for the field of the potter as the Lord directed me. Matthew pulls together two different passages, links it with first Jeremiah, but he actually uses Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 1 through 13. And he also pulls in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 through 13. Coupling those together, once again, he shows us, as his readers, that these actions, Judas's suicide and the purchase of the field, were a fulfillment of God's word. The New Testament writers help us to see biblical patterns and predictions in the Old Testament of Jesus' passion and how people would respond. Matthew is continuing to help us as his readers to understand something. That everything happening to Jesus was part of God's plan and purpose for him. God was sovereign even over Judas' sad suicide and even over the leader's sinful hypocritical response to Jesus and to Judas. God was sovereign. God's going to fulfill his word. God's purposes always stand. Look, 
what we mean for evil, God means for good to the praise of his glorious grace so he gets the glory and we get the grace. God's purposes can never be overthrown by the will of man. And Matthew continues to remind us of this. God's in control. God's in control. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the evil happening, evil happenings, events in our world taking place in our world right now. He's sovereign. God knows what he's doing. And guess what? I don't. I don't know what I'm doing. And guess what? You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. God knows what he's doing. And this is encouraging. Because God, he's sovereign over people's responses to him. So we, we can freely give people the gospel with passion and with fervency. And that's, you know, guess what? God's going to do the rest. God's sovereign over these responses. You just give them the gospel. You just tell them, repent. They need to hear the truth. Let God take care of the rest. So Jesus calls us to truly repent and trust him, not just be remorseful, not follow some religious code, and he stands ready to forgive. Christian, this is so important for you to understand. Well, there's a message just for non-Christians. No, it's not. We need the gospel even more than non-Christians. You want to know why? Because we will allow the evil one to throw that guilt, shame, and sadness upon us for every single sin that we do. Same person on Friday telling this person, you know what, it's Jesus who intercedes for his people all the time and the evil one, the accuser, he comes to the Father and says, look at this person, they're so horrible, they're so evil, why in the world do you even waste your time with them? And Jesus says, I died for them. He intercedes for us. Christian, God is always ready to forgive. It's not about just feeling bad over your sin. It's, it's, not, it's not about following some religious code or standard. Remember, Christianity, it's personal. Christianity is relational. Change the direction of your life and follow Christ. He'll forgive you. Admit, confess, repent. I turn from that. And Jesus, I put my trust in you again. You died for that sin that I just, that stupid thing that I just did. You died for that. I put my trust in you. I'm gonna keep moving forward with that, with the gospel. So vital for us to remember that. Truly repent. Let's, let's pray together. Let's remind ourselves of this. We thank you so much for giving, Father. That, Father, you're ready to forgive. We thank you, Jesus, for your work and because of your work. You love us just as much as you love your Father. Father, you love us just as much as you love your Son because we are united to your Son, because we follow your Son. Oh, yes. Forgive us, and we know you do, for the times where we do fall short. And yet that's why, Jesus, you had to die. Don't let us listen to the lies of the evil one, the doubts that he brings, but to remember your promises. We don't deserve anything. 
but in Jesus who is the ultimate display of your steadfast, faithful, covenant-keeping love. All your justice was poured out on him. Say all your grace can be poured out on us. So you're ready to forgive. So we repent. And we put our trust in you. And we pray for those that are here that have not responded to this gospel truth. They will come to the altar and know that forgiveness comes by the blood of Christ. If you would, please take this time, a few moments, to let the truth that we've looked at this morning to sink into your heart. We'll have a few moments of silence for you to allow your mind to ponder the truth of God's word. And then we'll, we'll sing a couple songs as a response. But let this time between you and the Lord be a meaningful time. Remind yourself of this gospel truth. And, and maybe you need to repent. Admit, I did that, I turned from that, and I put my trust in Jesus. My trust is in Him alone. Just take these few moments to do that, please.